Hello and welcome back. My name is Luke and you're listening to another episode of the Next Stage Podcast. Unicorns are popping up at an unprecedented rate, so what better way to understand what it takes to get there than by hearing from those who have already succeeded? Juan Pablo Ortega, co-founder of Rappi, and Mata Sagetti, co-founder and VP of Marketing at Branch, talk through their early days as startup founders and the steps they took towards success. Well, let's start with with you, uh, Juan. You're you're a pro. You uh, reached the unicorn status, um, but let's go back to the, those first days, the early days of your business. You started a food delivery business in Latin America, an emerging market. I can imagine it wasn't that easy to to get the the interest of uh, investors. Um, can you sh- maybe share with, with, with the room how difficult it was the first days and to really um, keep it going all the time? And was there a point that you thought like, okay, now we're there, now we have that important traction? Perfect. So the first days were the easiest one. You have an idea, you think you're going to crush it, it's going to be extremely easy, so you get all excited, you start building this product. And then when you have the product ready, you go to the street and then no one uses it. And that's the that's how it starts to get hard. So when we started Rappi, um, the first product was a convenience store delivery. So we went to different convenience stores. We took pictures. We uploaded a 1,000 uh, items into the application. And then we went to the street to distribute flyers. And we distributed 5,000, 10,000 flyers the whole day. And we went back to the office waiting that like hundreds of people were going to make an order. And no one was using the app. So we, we thought about it and we said, okay, what, what, what's wrong? Like we have a good app, people, they say that they're going to use it, but at the end they're not using it. And finding that first um, incentive for the user to use the app, I think was the hardest. Um, for us, it was uh, pan de bono and uh, orange juice, which is a, a Colombian um, breakfast item. And then it works for a week, and then after a week it stops working, and you have to do it again and again. So that's kind of the first challenge. How do you get that traction? And for us, we focus on that. We focus on having traction. We focus on having customers. And then we went to investors, and that's the second hardest part. So you have a product. You have traction. And how do you convince investors that what you're doing is going to make sense, that you're going to be able to scale it, that you're going to be able to go to different countries? And we have, you know, we were doing this in, in Colombia and in Mexico. And at that point, 2015, uh, U.S. investors didn't want to invest in Latin America. It seemed risky, it seemed sketchy, like they didn't want to do it. So trying to change their mind that there was an, a huge opportunity in Latin America that tech companies were going to change the, the whole region was the hardest part. Um, fortunately, we... we got money from Sequoia and and Andreessen Horowitz at the beginning and just being able to get that funding, being able to scale and and go from a thousand customers to like a million of customers helped us get that track record and it had changed the whole region. Today, any Colombian, Mexico or any Latin American startup can go to the U.S. and and get funds, can go to different parts of the world and and get busy money. Um, So... It's so easier now, really but at the beginning, it was helped to change part. the mindset. Mara, you didn't have to go to the street because you, you work for a company that really links uh, mobile apps really at the back yeah. end of the internet. Um, how difficult was that to get that from the ground? It was really hard. Um, it's really interesting. I think B2B, it's also hard. It's diff- hard in a different way. So, um, Branch is a linking company, but we are really in the critical path. So when an app opens, if they use Bench, they usually ask us, where should we take the user? 
and if branch breaks, the app breaks at the beginning, right? So when you're like a startup and no one uses you and you go to a bigger app and you're like, use us, we'll make your experience better, they're like, oh, you're like a no-name, what if you break and you break our app? So um, I remember we looked at some point and the first 20 customers that we had, uh, they used branch, all 20 of them were people we knew personally. Half of them were classmates from school, business school, and half of them were in the same cohort with our investors or friends of friends. Like none of our first 20 was like someone that, you know, they all gave us a shot. They all tried to do us. And I remember the first big app that used us was Gogobot, now they're trip.com. And it was someone I knew from consulting. And man, he found a lot of bugs. Like we sent him so many cupcakes because that was the first real app. I think they had two or three million like users using the app. And he really tested. <laughs> this was, I guess, eight years ago. And um, it's, it's just as hard and you have to hustle just as hard if you're a B2B as if you're a B2C. You're also an investor. Um, when when Kuhn was talking about we have to go to the street and, and nobody was using it, is yeah. that something when you're investing that you also keep an eye on if, if, if the team, the founding team, really has that grit, that yeah. de determination to go to the street and see yeah. that nobody care, uh, uses it? I, um, I do invest. I'm very early stage, and I usually just invest in friends and mostly women. Um, I, that's the only thing I really look for the size of the market. So very early stage, I think there's only two things, the size of the market and how good I think uh, the team is. And by good, I mean the hustle and the grit. I really, people ask me what I think the most important thing in an entrepreneur is, and I really think is the grit. I think anyone, any one of you can figure it out. Branch is actually idea number four. We failed for two years before Branch. We did Fitbit for Dogs, a photo book printing app, a printing SDK. So we, we tried a lot and we kept failing and we kept trying again. And I think anyone can figure it out. How fast you figure it out, uh, luck has to do with it. Yeah. Um, I, I think you have to be able to fail and you also have to be able to like admit that something's not working. I've seen many founders be so in love with an idea that they're not willing to say, this is actually not working, I'm going to try something else. So I also look for that. I push and poke and try to figure out like, hey, is this, is this person going to admit it if things are not working and are they willing to start from zero again until they find the right idea? That's an interesting, interesting point, like the moment that you have to admit that something is not working. Juan, you, you expanded your business in, in different uh, Latin American uh, countries. That's also something new, of course, every, every time you go into markets. Um, did you have moments that you have like, okay, this, is, this country is, is not working? Or, and did you learn any lessons, like lessons that were never wrong in, in, in any of the markets? Yeah, so I completely agree. I think the hardest thing is not to build a product or a feature, is to decide when to kill it. And, and you sometimes make the mistake thinking like it's going to work at some point and you keep pushing and you keep pushing and many times you have to cut it, kill it and move on. For us, um, you, you learn quickly when we open a new country, like whether it's working or not. Um, the same way as soon as we launched uh, Rappi in Bogota, we saw people using it and then people not using it. We saw the same traction issues in different countries like Brazil and Mexico. Something that we learned is that we, we thought that we're going to be able to replicate what we're doing in one country into the other one. That was a huge mistake. 
Um, all the countries are different, even though we were, you know, fortunately in Latin America, most of them speak the same language except Brazil. Uh, the cultures are completely different. So the products that we we're offering in one country didn't work in the other one. So when you go into a new country, when you go into a new market, understanding and making sure you were listening to the local person and understanding if the problem was the same or if you had to make some adjustments uh, was something that we learned in the beginning. We launched in Mexico or Colombian app and it just didn't work. Like the, the way uh, people in Mexico saw delivery was completely different. The times were completely different. So we had to adjust the business model. So each country and each country manager and, and, and the app completely changed depending on, on the country. And when someone opened the app, it felt like a Mexican app. And when someone opened the app in Brazil, it felt like a Brazilian app. And today I talk to people and they ask me, oh, is this from, from Argentina? Because I'm Argentinian and when I open the app, it looks like an Argentinian app. So that's something that you have to make sure you do. One size doesn't fit all. You have to make sure you adapt the product and you build technology that makes the product customizable, first of all, to the market. And then right now we're working in, in making it customizable for each individual. So you need that local flavor, I guess. When you enter a new market, I guess there is also uh, media, investors, policymakers, uh, food delivery is a very, uh, can m maybe some policymakers can think, oh, this is going to d disturb my idle uh, village, all those couriers. Um, is that something that you also take into account when you're going to a market like, we have to talk with, with the media, with policymakers, with, with local uh, Players. So when you start, no one cares about you. So you sit down with a politician and say, oh, yeah, yeah and don't worry. And, and no one really thinks that you're important. So you launch, and then you start growing and growing and growing. And then they knock on your door and say, OK, now let's, let's have a conversation. So I think it's always good to, depending on the visa, it's always good to talk to regulators. It's always good to talk to, to the media and, and to the different government bodies. But at first, you have to only focus on your on your app, on your application, on your business, making sure that you have that product market fit, and then you can worry about the regulation and everything. Um, I see many founders that are super worried about, okay, how can I protect this? How can I take the risk? And, and you end up wasting so much important time that you have to focus in growing um, your business, and then at some point you will have to worry about the, the rest. Yeah. If that mom moment is there, um we have seen the, the example of, of big companies going into new markets, Uber going, coming to Europe. Um, then sometimes the, the message and the, the image needs to be shaped. Mara, you, you're, you're a marketeer, and so you have maybe an idea of shaping, a, uh, shaping an image. What are the, the do's and don'ts when you have to shape your image or tweak your image in a country? Well, I think it starts, uh, first of all, I think there's different images for your company. There's, you know, as you move to, move to a new market, especially if you're hiring people, there's also, there's the images for your customers and the image as an employer. I think they're, they're both somewhat different. I think when it comes to the image for your customers, I really do, do think today when people purchase from brands, they don't care just about the brand, but they care about the mission of that brand and how that brand portrays themselves in the world and how that brand ties in with their values. So I think starting you know, with what your brand is, especially if you're going after consumers, I, I'm more of a B2B marketer, but I, I know a lot of our, a lot, all our customers, majority are B2C brands. And when they think about you know, building that brand is really who they are, what they stand for, and customers uh, um, come, 
come and they identify with an image, and you kind of saw some of the things that Apple did with like privacy and things like that. You're, you're trying to understand what customers want and make sure that as you advertise and you build an image, you stand by that. I think B2B marketing is obviously slightly different, but not that different. It's just your customers are still people and humans. They just usually represent companies. So you have to make sure that your values for your company kind of stands in line with the values of other companies, things like security and trust and those things have become very important where you work with, with very large brands. Um, uh, awareness, like I think the idea that your brand is used by others and is very trusted can be, can becomes very important in B2B. Mm -hmm. Everyone, every company is at the moment very mission driven and, and socially responsible. How do you make sure that these principles that you live by or that you want to push or that mission, that that doesn't sound like very hollow marketing language? How do you make <laughs> yeah. that real? I like agree and disagree because um, I think at the beginning you have like two strategies. Like one strategy is to to be like mission driven and and you have to uh, see if, if you, you choose some values and you say okay I'm gonna create a company that is sustainable and I'm gonna go after everyone. I think many times when you're making a product you have to look for the product market fit and the beginning you have to build the products that people want and you have to focus on that and you have to be super obsessed on what do customers want and many times they don't really care about the values at the beginning they're gonna care that the problem that they have is being fixed um, as you grow and you start having that issue where you grow and then people start looking at you and they say okay this is, you know, I'm getting my, my food delivered really fast and this is amazing, but what's going to happen with the environment? And then you have to start working. So, for example, for us in Mexico, um, we had to change all the packaging. So it, it was um, kind of like biodegradable um, materials and it became super important for consumer to the point where we have a small sign in each restaurant showing which one are using uh, like eco packages compared to the other ones and for the consumer that was important. But we couldn't start a company just focusing on that because we wouldn't be able to scale. So you first start and focusing in fixing a, a problem for the user and as you grow, that kind of second problem is, is how do you align values and how do you align just bigger, more uh, important things that at the end are going to help you grow and grow more scalable? Mm. I, I mean, I, I can see that, but I actually think really the mission, the mission to us is the change we want to bring in the world. And it's less about how we do it than even our values. And it's, it is something that we've had from day one. We really struggled in the mobile ecosystem. We were like trying to build links that took us to things. We had an app. And then our mission was to make the ecosystem more open. And you know, we wanted data to flow. And we wanted other developers to not have our problem. So in a way, our mission is tied to that, that real issue. But the, the interesting thing is the mobile ecosystems have become, the walls are even higher. So it's like the mission is probably going to last for a long time. But um, somehow that, that problem became our mission to solve it. Um, so, but it's not sustainability or anything like that. It yeah. really is like that problem. That, that's kind of where our mission is. We talked a lot about growth and about going from the early days to the unicorn, uh, unicorn uh, status that maybe a lot of people in the, in the, in the room dream about. Um, uh, Juan, you were earlier at the center stage, uh, the big stage, and you said there something very interesting. You said that like, 
yeah, when you become a unicorn, it's very um, easy to like suddenly change the culture because there are a lot of bosses and hierarchy and new committees and whatever. Um, but you said, don't do that. Be a startup always, all the time, even after unicorn. How do you do that? That's, that sounds incredibly difficult. I think that's the most difficult part. Um, I think growing your business, it sounds weird, but like growing the business and growing sales or whatever you do, that's the easy part. But when the company grows, you have to grow yourself as a leader and you have to change and kind of grow the company. And as you get bigger, you start spending more money, you, the beginning startups are disorganized and, and that's what makes them like fast and that's what makes them, you know, go and grow faster than a regular company. But as you grow, you have more people, you have more risk and founders tend to believe that they need to organize the house and they need to create processes and they need to create bureaucracy. And that's the worst mistake ever because what happens is when you create processes and when you organize, you slow down. And when, you, when, the culture, when, when the culture slows down, your company slows down. And if you slow down, you, you're not really interesting for investors. So it's really hard to raise funds and you get to a point where, okay, you have a really big company, but you need to keep scaling it. So there are many different things that you need to do. And I think number one is always preserving that culture of being fast or making really, really fast decisions. And as you scale, the way you're able to, to grow the business without changing the culture is, is always, um, to all of your leaders, is always teaching them how we used to do things five or six years ago. And every time you make a decision, you have to show how many times you are making decisions on the fly. And, and for us, we, one of our, uh, our values is that every time we make a decision, we're like jumping off the cliff. It sounds really extreme and really weird, but that's the way you're able to, to move a company really fast. Many times you have to make mistakes. Many times uh, from all of those mistakes, you make a really good idea. And those are the ideas that change the world and that actually change the company. So pushing all of your leaders to make mistakes, pushing all of your leaders to not being afraid of, of doing things that could bring risk is what keep, keeps the culture as it was day one, and it's what keep the company growing and moving as fast as the first weeks. Mara, before this talk, I, I went to, to the website of Wrench and I saw some really big clients like Strava and, 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 and clients like that. So I can imagine that when you're in, in interaction with them, everything is going very slowly, long uh, negotiations, long processes, and, and then we hear this, this, this demand of, yeah, you have to decide fast. How do you reconcile those boats? Uh, Thanks. Well, sure, the sales cycle with some of our big customers is, can be slow, right? We work with some of the world's largest brands, and some are newer, like you said, Strava or Spotify, but there's also very traditional brands. Um, just because a sales cycle happens slow doesn't mean you can't move fast. When someone asks for something, you can reply right away. When someone is interested in, like, helping their sell into their managers, you can help build the deck for them. Um, when they're having a struggle and are trying to implement, we had, you know, with one of our really large customers, we had one of our developers go and work with the development team and help them integrate their deep links. Um, I think in general, you can just, you can still move fast. And we still have, 
you know, a free tool that anyone can go and use. And it's interesting. Rap is a customer, and I met Juan Pablo two years ago, and he's like, oh, yeah, I played with Branch myself. And, you know, some of our competitors don't do that. They don't have a free dashboard. They, they can't. So we are still like anyone in any company can go and test us out, go and build things. You don't need to pay us yet to be able to play with our product. So there's just a lot of places in that long cycle that you can, you know, inject speed. And I, th I would say the other big thing when you think about speed is while our customers move slow, the mobile market moves is the fastest moving market in the world, and things change all the time. Apple introduced something that completely changed the way the linking works. We adapted right away. We built a new type of link, and now our links work, even though you know private relay might break other links. So you just as long as your your company moves fast, you will move as fast as possible, and it's okay if a customer moves slower. You just have a lot more a lot more discussions, and mm. yeah. We still need to address the, that elephant in the room uh, on this conference. There's a lot of investors' money in the market. Uh, everyone can become a unicorn. I have I have the feeling, or is that a total wrong take? Uh, when when you look at it as as already being a unicorn. Well, today is really easy. I think there is a lot of money <laughs> in the market. Um, but you know, I, I think there, there, there are many things that have come together. Um, today, it's really easy to build technology. I think a couple of years ago, it was just really hard. But there are tools that let you build apps and websites in a couple of clicks. So you're able to have an MVP much more quicker, and you're able to to go to market and test if, if your idea makes sense or not. Um, also, after the pandemic, uh, people are a lot more open into trying new things and to go in digital. Uh, we saw in, in RappiBank, our, our financial services arm, before the pandemic, people were super afraid of opening a bank account. And then from one day to another one, they were like, OK, this is normal. I can open a bank account in my cell phone, and I can do everything in my phone, and I, I don't have to go to a physical branch. So. All of these things together, what it does is that it, it, it makes anyone with a good idea, they have the tools, and they can easily just try their idea. They can easily scale it. And there are just too many tools out there to be able to do marketing really fast, to do links really fast, to do everything really fast. So you're able to grow and, and get to a million customers that before it was just impossible. So I think for sure that you, know, if you have all the elements, and then also VCs are a lot more open and are willing to test new ideas and to test new technologies. I'm going to challenge the idea that anyone, that I, I agree with Juan Pablo, every, anyone can become a unicorn, but I'm going to challenge all of you, do you want to become a unicorn? I have friends who bootstrap companies and make 50 million in revenue, and then they sell the, the company for 100 million, and then they are very rich and they made a huge impact in the world. Um, I think the idea of a unicorn is just like it's a valuation and it's raising money and giving part of your company away. And not, that's not for everyone. And I think there's a lot of change and impact being driven in this world for companies that are not unicorns. So uh, while you know, everyone, all of you can, you don't necessarily, that should not be the thing you strive for. Making an impact in the world, changing someone's life, making a product that's being used and you make money from, should actually be the goal instead of, you know, this that's unicorn good advice. Not everyone should be a, a unicorn. <laughs> um, the clock is ticking down, so let's let's wrap up maybe with a, with a one-liner. If you could go back five years, um, what's the one line that you would have said to yourself um, as as an advice? Go on. Oh, that's a, that's a hard question. Um, 
I think for me, uh, that one line, um, I will say that, you know, like m many times you, you start, you know, doing your thing and your launch and, and, and it seems like everything is, is wrong and, and, and you keep pushing yourself that whatever you're doing is wrong and you have to keep fixing it. Thing uh, I would have appreciated six years ago to say, you know, everything is okay and you're going the right directions um, because many times you kind of, you're really hard on yourself and you're, you're thinking you're going the wrong direction and, and, and you, your own self is telling you, hey, you're bad, you're not doing the right thing. So just looking back, stepping back and saying, you know, everything is going to be okay. It will have fine. been uh, much easier. That wasn't a one-liner. Mata, are you going to try on Get more one sleep. <laughs> it only gets harder. <laughs> okay. <That's my> line. <laughs> um, thanks. I think this was great fun. There was a good advice, like you can be a unicorn, but you don't have to. So enjoy the rest of Web Summit and give them a round of applause. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. So until next week, see you then.